morning. My name is Brandon York, and I'm going to be reading from 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 15, the ESV. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God shows you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me once again this morning? Father, we are grateful for your word. We know that through it you breathe life into dry bones and you give us reason to praise. Father, we pray that this morning your word would be shaping uh, our community and our individual lives to be lives of worship and praise to you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Igabu, Agabu, Umchacha, Badikak, Badikak, Bobo Saluki, Ramraf, Ramraf, Shishboomba, UE, UE, Ra, Ra, Ra. I'm not speaking in tongues, and I'm not having a stroke. That was my school's chant before every athletic event. And I have not done that at an athletic event for over 30 years, but it is still stuck in my brain. It was one of the traditions of my high school. I hope they're still doing it. I haven't been back there in 30-some years. Uh, I hope they're still doing it because it was a great tradition. No one knew where it came from. It just said, we've always done that. And traditions are, are fun. They're fantastic, aren't they? You know, IU has, you know, the fists and blades and pound the rock. And, and then there's our family traditions that we all appreciate so much. The, you know, traditions around the Christmas tree or Easter egg hunts or you know, cookies, whatever it is. We, we love our traditions. But when it comes to the church, we as evangelicals have often looked at tradition with suspicion. Kind of with a, you know, side eye. Not quite sure what to do with tradition when it comes to the church. Because we as evangelicals are, are great innovators. We are often at the the front leading edge of using new technology to reach people with the gospel. Whether it was the printing press or radio and TV, we've often been great innovators. But sometimes we're poor receptacles. Sometimes we're poor students or poor stewards of what has been passed down from generation to to generation. Tradition. There's an element that I I understand why we look at tradition kind of with suspicion. I mean, Jesus did warn us, right? He, He said to the Pharisees, you have a fine way of setting aside the word of God for your tradition. Paul warned us against being taken captive by mere human traditions. And the long history of the church gives us ample warning uh, about what happens when tradition trumps or uh, becomes primary over Scripture. 
But the misuse of tradition, and those things are certainly misuses of tradition, doesn't negate the proper use of tradition. Doesn't negate the importance of tradition to the church. Look again at the text that Brandon read for us this morning. He read from the ESV. Uh, On the screen was the NIV, and they're slightly different at one point, and I'll say something about that. Um, But this text comes from a letter that Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica. This is at least the second letter he has written to them. And this church was a, a, a good church. They were experiencing growth, though it wasn't an easy experience for them. What do I mean? Well, Paul says to them, your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. I mean, that's great news, but it hasn't been easy for them. He he praises them for their steadfastness and their faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that they are going through. Uh, So they're growing in their faith and their love despite the fact that they're under persecution and suffering afflictions. He goes on in the next verse and he says that, you know, I want you to be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. So it's a faithful but suffering church. And it's a church that is someone or some ones is trying to lead them astray with false teaching. Maybe even sending letters under the name of Paul, though not actually by Paul. And he says, don't let them, even if it's a letter that purports to be for me, don't let them lead you astray. Don't let them deceive you in any way. And then when we come to the passage that was read, he he gives them this this encouragement. He says, I know, brothers, you've been chosen by God. Oh, I want two slides. I know you've been chosen by God as the first fruits to be saved. And you've been called through the gospel, and you will obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in light of all of that, your faith, your love, the persecutions you're going through, the attempts to deceive you, your high calling. Now then, or so then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. The NIV translates that as hold fast to the teachings, and there's no good reason to make that translation decision, because the word is tradition. It's the same word that Jesus used when he warned you know, of being too beholden to tradition. Hold on to the tradition that was delivered to you, that was taught to you. Later in the same letter, he warns the church there to stay away from the brother who is living an idle life and not keeping the tradition that has been delivered. What does Paul mean when he's talking about the tradition or the traditions in, in this sense? Scholar D.H. Williams, I think, helps us understand what he's getting at here. And he uh, articulates three ways to think about tradition. The first way is tradition with a small t in plural, traditions. And these are the small things that we do that kind of unite us together, uh, almost like that chant, right, Uh, from my school. It, It bound us together as, hey, we're Union Endicott High School. We're together in this. We have lots of these small traditions as a church. 
one that comes to mind that I love, it's a beautiful tradition here at Christ Community Church, is the Good Friday service when we gather around the cross and sing, When I Survey the Wonderful Cross. I've been in lots of churches in my life. This is the only church that I've ever been in that does that. It's a beautiful tradition of our church. There's other traditions that we observe that kind of span not just our church, but, you know, churches in different denominations and different wings of of the Christian world. Things like hanging gold draperies or purple draperies or black draperies, depending on the season, to kind of mark off the liturgical year. Or, Or things like doing communion on the first Sunday of the month. There's nothing in the Bible that says do it on this Sunday. But lots of churches and different denominations have chosen that Sunday as the Sunday that they will celebrate communion. So we join others in observing that tradition of the church. That's one way of talking about traditions. Small t, traditions, plural. Uh, There's another way of talking about it as though it's a verb. Traditioning. Handing off from one generation to the next. The Apostle Paul kind of alludes to this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I'm passing on to you what I've received. And he goes on to explain Jesus' resurrection. And it's that passing on from one generation to the next. And this is what we do when we, we sit with our kids and we say, this is what Christians believe. This is what Christians do. This is how Christians pray. This is how Christians worship and, and sing together. It's traditioning. It's passing on from one generation to the next. It's a process. But the third way, and the most important, is the tradition. Definite article, the, capital T, tradition. This is the common life and faith of the church. The common life and common faith of the church that cuts cuts across denominations and cuts across traditions in the plural sense. It's the thing that binds us all together as the church of Christ. It began to to flower, to to bud in the apostolic age, and and then really came to fruition in the early church through the ministry and work of the early church fathers. It's foundational. It comes to articulation in those great creeds that we recite together as a church. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. It defines the essence of what Christians believe. And as evangelicals, we need to grow in our willingness and our ability to listen and to learn from the tradition. Uh, To be Diligent students and faithful stewards of the tradition. Why? I want to offer three reasons. The sermon is actually broken down into three sets of three. You've already done one set right there. Here's three reasons why the tradition is important. First, if we value the word, and we do. That was Bob's sermon last week, right? Uh, The community of Christ is a community that's built on the word. If we value the word, we ought to appreciate, we have to appreciate the tradition. Because the tradition and scripture grew up together 
in a symbiotic relationship through the early centuries of the church. Uh, The tradition existed in, in oral form before scripture in written form was collected. The tradition was being passed on from the apostles to pastors and elders in local churches who then turned around and passed it on to the generation after them and went out and spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Their tradition was being passed on from Paul to, for example, Timothy. He says to Timothy, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust that to faithful men. I taught you about Jesus' life. I taught you about the meaning of his death and his resurrection. Now you go out and teach that to others. Commit that to them. It wasn't just this tradition, just facts and doctrines. It was also an approach to interpreting Scripture. It was Paul saying to Timothy, now in light of Jesus... This is how we read Isaiah. This is how we read Moses. It was an approach to doctrine. It was an approach to interpreting scripture. It was an approach to life. This is how we as Jesus followers live. Pass this tradition on. Hold firm to this tradition because this shapes who we are as the church. And this tradition guided the church as it began to collect and recognize which books would be included in the scriptures. This is that symbiotic relationship. The church had lots of letters circulating from Paul, from Peter, and sometimes from false apostles. And the church had to discern which letters, which books would be included in the canon. How'd they do that? They asked, which ones ring true to the tradition? Which ones echo with the voice of Paul and Peter and John? The church, uh, the church used the tradition as it was being guided by the Spirit in the collection of Scripture. I want to be careful. I- I'm not saying that the church gave us Scripture. That's an incredibly important dialogue to have. It goes beyond the extent of what we can do here in this format. What I am saying is that the Spirit guided the church as the church used tradition, the tradition, as a theological canon for recognizing authentic Scripture versus spurious or uninspired works. So that's the first reason. The first reason is because there's this relationship. If we value the word, we ought to value tradition. The second reason, tradition guides the church. Tradition guides the church when heretics try to twist scripture. The devil is not very creative. He has tried to waylay and destroy the church, and he's only got a few tools in his arsenal. The most common is twisting scripture. Not flat out denying it, but taking it and and just twisting it a little bit into something other than the gospel. This is what the Apostle Peter warns against in 2 Peter. He's writing here in reference to Paul's letters. And he says, 
these are, there are some things in them, in Paul's letters, that are hard to understand. Yes and amen, right? Which ignorant and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. Uh, the early church not only used the tradition to say this is what is inspired canon, but to help us interpret what it means. Because heretics were twisting it and doing things destructive with it. So the early church, again, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, said we need to use words to articulate these divine mysteries. Words like trinity, words like incarnation, words like essence and person that don't necessarily in, uh, appear in the Bible, but they solidify uh, they explain what's there. And these words, these words come together and form these great creeds that we affirm together. The early church and we use these creeds still to detect error, destructive error. And the third reason, tradition gives perspective beyond this cultural moment and our narrow experiences. Your experiences might be broader than mine. You might have traveled more widely, that's not hard to do, than me. But your experience is still narrow. Because you live in the 20th, I guess 21st century. You don't, and you never did, live in the 14th century. We're we're limited because we have this set of experiences and not this set of experiences. If you look back in 50 years at the articles that were written over the last couple, say three years, the the books that were written, the songs that were written, they've all been shaped by this cultural moment. And the, the tradition helps us expand our experience, helps us see beyond and not be captive to the things of the right here and the right now. So that's why the tradition is important. It gives us a bigger, broader perspective. But what does this mean for you and me? How do we make this at all practical? As I was thinking about that, three word pictures, this is the third set of three, three word pictures came to mind that help us apply it corporately and individually. And I apologize, these word pictures are maybe a bit kitschy, but in cutesy, But stick with me. The first image, word picture, that comes to mind is of a grandpa in a rocking chair, maybe smoking a pipe, just filled with life experience, filled with wisdom that we can learn from, that we have to learn from. My son Caleb, when he was 12, 13, you know, junior high age, went through this phase where, you know, mom and dad don't know anything. And weekly, we'd be asking him about school, just curious about his life, about friends, about, you know, relationships and stuff like that. And and at least weekly, he would say something like, it's complicated, you wouldn't understand. And, you know, Lynn and I just roll our eyes like, oh, yeah, right. We never went through junior high. We don't know what that's like. 
No, no, we don't know anything about relationships. They're totally foreign to us. But that's the attitude I think we sometimes have towards other eras of the church. What would people who lived in the 1500s have to teach us about the modern world? What would people who lived a thousand years ago know about life as a Christian in the modern world? What could they teach us about living through a plague? And you can just picture Calvin, Luther, and Zwingli kind of like rolling their eyes like, oh yeah, what would we know about living through the Black Death? And St. Cyprian would say, oh come on guys, I have a plague named after me. What would they know about political turmoil? And Augustine would say, I ministered through the fall of the Roman Empire. And they blamed us for it, us Christians. Controversy in the church. What would they know about helping us through controversy in the church? And Athanasius would say, it was so controversial, so schismatic, so divided, it felt like it was me against the world standing for orthodoxy. There is tremendous wisdom to be gleaned from the tradition. And I find great comfort in the safety of being a part of a church that is deeply rooted, firmly anchored to the tradition. We're not accused of being cutting edge in virtually anything. But when it comes to our theology, we're downright old school. Right? We're deeply rooted in those ancient creeds and that the tradition of the church. Uh, the second word picture that comes to mind is a leash. At first I was going to use the image of an anchor and how it... it you know, keeps us corporately from floating adrift amidst the wind and the waves. And that's important, really important, especially for a non-denominational church, right? We don't have a denomination that we're connected to, but we are connected to the tradition. That's important. But I'm thinking more individualistically, individually. And so I think the, the image of a leash is better. I'm thinking of those kind of leashes that parents use on their kids when they take them to the fair. They're like horrible and yet really ingenious at the same time. Um, you can pull them back just before they run out underneath the roller coaster or something like that. We live in a, an age that is obsessed with new, with novel and the tradition yanks us back. We live in an age that is, the mantra is, you know, me and my Bible. And I love my Bible. I love reading my Bible. But I don't want to do it alone. I do it in the company of the church. If you ever want to, like, ruin my day, say to me after a sermon, Dan, that was great. I've never heard it taught that way before. I, I, I don't want to be novel. I will now go home and spend the rest of the day trying to find other people who said it the same way I did or who taught it the same way I did because I don't want to be novel. I vividly remember a professor in seminary saying, if no one's ever thought of the idea before, 
you're wrong. Repent. If no one's ever taught it that way, you're wrong. Repent. Refuse to break free from the leash. Allow yourself to be tethered to the church with that leash of the tradition. I think there's freedom and there's safety in that, and that's a good thing. The last word picture I have is of a museum. Not a cold, boring, sterile museum, but a museum that you walk through and it's filled with beauty. It is beautiful to me how the church worked through some of these divine mysteries and articulated them in language I could never have come up with. They didn't demystify these things. They didn't say, oh, we've got it all figured out. Here, let's explain it to you in five easy steps. No, they embraced the mystery and they articulated it in these wonderful, beautiful creeds and statements of faith. It's beautiful. And to read of their lives and how they lived before the Lord as offerings of worship and offered themselves sometimes to the pyre, sometimes to the guillotine. It's just, it's beautiful to be inspired by the beauty of their lives and of their worship. I love singing new songs. I really do. I think singing new songs is important for the church. Psalm 149 says, sing a new song to the Lord. Each generation ought to be writing their own songs and and lending their voice to this great kind of company of witnesses that sings praise to our Lord Jesus Christ. It would be very sad if the church wasn't writing new songs. I mean, we still are experiencing the love of God, right? We still are experiencing the faithfulness of God, right? So we ought to write songs in praise. That's a good thing. But I love the old hymns, too. There was a phase in my son Jake's life. He was probably two, maybe three, where we could not drive in the car. He was probably younger than three. We could not drive in the car unless we were singing to him. If we were driving and not singing, he was screaming. And one of us had to be holding his hand as we sang. So Lynn would, or I would, or... And, you know, my in-laws live in Erie, Pennsylvania. That's a long drive to be singing for seven hours. What did we sing? Hymns. Because they're the songs that kind of live in our memory. I love singing the old hymns. They're important for the church to remember. I'd love to know, to pry into your mind and, and See what songs are coming to mind when I say old hymns. Is it songs like Blessed Assurance or Praise Him, Praise Him? Those are great hymns. They're not really that old, though. They're like 150 years, maybe. So if hymns were people, they'd be like young teenagers. Think older. Like, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. You play that on an organ, and I'm ready to you know, charge hell with a squirt gun. 
It's great. But it's not even that old. It's like 400 years old. Again, if hymns were people, it probably couldn't even rent a car. Think older. Be thou my vision. Written 700 A.D. Of the Father's love begotten. Fourth century. Te diem. Fourth century. Hail gladdening light. Third century. A song that I don't know, but it's in our hymnal. Shepherd of eager youth. Written by Clement in 200 A.D. There's something I think incredibly important for the church to remember these old songs. Songs that the church might have been singing in the catacombs. In a whisper. Or might have been singing loudly in a church as an army was advancing. Or singing at some saint's funeral who died from the plague. There's beauty in this. Combining these old songs with the new expression saying we're informed by our tradition and yet we're now living in this moment with the living Jesus who is our king. Passing these old songs on and adding our new forms of worship is a way of traditioning. Of passing on the tradition from one generation to the next and saying this is how Christians worship. This is how Christians turn their beliefs into songs of praise. Most scholars have been saying that the church in America, the evangelical movement, is at a watershed kind of period in its life. It's an important time in the life of our church, Christ Community Church. It's an important time in your life. Individually, spiritually. There's no better time to commit, to to double down on our commitment. To learn from, to be shaped by, to steward, and to appreciate the beauty of the tradition that was once for all delivered to the saints. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. Thank you that we don't have to be novel, that we don't have to reinvent the wheel of faith. There are saints who have gone before us, who have been inspired and wrote scripture, who have been guided by the Spirit and collected scripture, who have taught us what it means to live lives of faith and godliness. Father, we pray that you would find us faithful stewards of the tradition, that we would hand it off as a living breathing thing to the next generation. Father, we thank you for the power of it. In Jesus' precious name, amen.